You're listening to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life with Dan Simon. And the old tried and true matchmaking principles that were employed by our parents and grandparents who knew people in the community who understood the importance of a good match for their children and grandchildren occupied a very important role that has disappeared in our culture today and that I have attempted to restore in my work as a matchmaker. And I have seen time and time again, and as I have documented through various stories in the book, the importance and the benefit of having somebody who knows both people be able to reason with somebody. Because our knee-jerk response, and this is not anyone's fault, we are all trained professionally to make very quick decisions. Right. And as a matchmaker, my goal is to get to know each and every person so that I can really represent to the other party what they have to bring to the table and to point out qualities that they might not have discerned themselves because it's hard to know someone until you take the time and invest in a relationship. You can't know after one or two dates whether somebody is going to be someone you're going to marry or go off into the sunset with. So it, it takes a trusted confidant, somebody who knows both people, somebody who's advocating for the match to really give people a sense of what's realistic, what's pragmatic, and to preach patience and curiosity. That is something that so many people lack when they start dating. It is a message of hope for singles, readers, and even for couples, it is a message that a good relationship in marriage requires work. It doesn't happen by magic. And the more one invests in doing that work, whether it's therapy or couples work or coaching or whatever external resources are gonna work for each couple, doing that bonds people together more closely, makes it a richer relationship and ultimately a more successful relationship. Welcome to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life, a podcast about people's personal journeys of discovery and recreation. I'm Dan Simon. We dig deep to understand the essence of each guest. How did they get to this point in their life? We all have stories to tell about our own lives that help the rest of us realize who we are and what we could become. As a life coach, I've always been intrigued by the stories people tell. What were the trials, tragedies, and triumphs they encountered while navigating through life? There are no mistakes in life, only experiences and lots of contrast. If we can have compassion for others, can't we have the same for ourselves? It's always been my personal mission to remind people the truth of who they are, to remind them that they've done their very best. In each episode, that's what you'll find, a beautiful soul doing their best to create a life that's fulfilling and rewarding. Okay, guys, today's show is our second one with Lior Hoffman. If you heard episode eight back in October of 19, you remember how Lior went from being a government attorney in Washington, D.C. to being a matchmaker and helping people find love. Couldn't really have a more dramatic career change than that. Today's show, we discuss Leora's new book, Catch Me a Catch, Chronicles of a Matchmaker. 
The book is very interesting because it intertwines stories of her own life and relationships with the stories of the clients that she's helped. So if you really want to understand how valuable the ancient art of matchmaking is in today's world compared to the current dating apps like Bumble and Tinder and Match.com, listen to Leora's message of hope. And it really applies whether you're single or in a relationship equally. Enjoy today's conversation. I'm excited to continue our our conversation from last time, Leora, and I was really impressed in terms of how you approached um, uh, your job and how you transformed from a, an attorney and into a matchmaker. And probably for those that have not heard the first podcast, maybe we should start by uh, just uh, having you summarize your transformation and how you how you decided to become a matchmaker and then we'll get into the some more of the details about the book and what's exactly happened and why you published the book well essentially i was at a point in my life and career where i had just given birth to my second child i was home on maternity leave from my then federal government job working for an agency in their trading and markets division uh, at that time, I was an associate at the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, and I was home on leave, and I was doing a significant amount of soul-searching about what I wanted my next steps to be professionally. I hadn't been all that enthused with the position I occupied at the agency at that time, but it was a part-time job that I was fortunate to obtain through the Women's Bar. Uh, and I knew how rare part-time positions in Washington were. So I really grabbed that position knowing that I wanted to expand my family. And so once I gave birth to my second child, I started to think of what the next step would be professionally when I received a call from my older sister in New York, which is where I grew up, telling me that she had been exploring a matchmaker in Manhattan and asking my opinion. When I heard that, I thought, wow, I don't know of any services here in the Washington market like that. And I knew that the community consisted of a large proportion of single professionals, many of whom were my friends who were seeking you know, loving relationships and fulfilling connections and really didn't have a good and effective way of meeting one another. This was before the internet, so the only options people had at that time were the personal ads through local publications or large dating services, or at the other end of the spectrum, you had the pastor or the rabbi's wife who was doing this work volunteer from home. So there really was a void in the market for a service to cater to single professionals who were looking for meaningful connections, who had standards that were pretty high, who worked long hours and really could benefit from having a specialist be mining for opportunities for them so that they didn't have to be out there attending singles dances or parties, which most people really didn't enjoy doing. Right. And the catalyst was really your sister's, uh, the conversation with your sister. You were open to a different opportunity than what you had been doing, but th that 
uh, one conversation with your sister really catalyzed you to move forward and start investigating the possibility of you completely changing your career and your life, right? Absolutely. Well, I've always been a romantic, and the idea of getting people together spoke to me. And I knew there was a very strong need. And I also felt that I was very well suited to that type of work. I, I'm an extreme extrovert, and as I said, a true romantic. And the combination of those two factors led me to believe that I would be very good at this. And also, I wanted a, a business opportunity. I've always had an entrepreneurial spirit, and I wanted to create something that was my own, but until then really hadn't thought of what would be unique and special. And I felt like, well, Washington has a million attorneys, but no one was doing matchmaking at that time. And so there was an opportunity for really for me to step in and contribute to the community in a meaningful way and start something that I knew I would feel passionate about. And if I can cite the, uh, the quote in the afterword of, of your book, I think it's very telling. It's kind of what you just said, but what you said in the end of the book was the romantic in me continues to put people together to take risk and to learn from each interaction, whether positive or negative. Every day I count my blessings, cross my fingers, put one foot in front of the other and ask the universe to deliver. And that's what's happened for you in this endeavor, hasn't it? Yes, indeed. Been, I'm now in my 31st year doing this work. So what's interesting about the book, and I, I recommend the book to, to everyone that's interested in learning more about relationships and, and how to develop successful relationships, but what's interesting is that the book is not just about your clients and how you help them to find love it's interweaves virtually every other chapter is a chapter about yourself your life your relationship and another chapter is about uh, a client's story how did you decide to be so honest and revealing in terms of your own life as well because it could have been a just book solely about matchmaking and the results but uh, this is is uh, much deeper than that how did you make that choice to uh, to talk about yourself so uh, frankly? Well, it was a decision to really humanize me as a matchmaker because I wanted people to be able to relate to me and to say, wow, this woman has been through some things and yet she never lost hope or determination that she herself would find love. And that is really true. And I wanted it to be a message of hope for people and also an opportunity for people to relate to me as a potential consultant. So I was hoping that the reader would relate to some of the challenges I've had. Maybe they themselves will have been in, or would have been in similar dynamics in past relationships. And I wanted people to realize I'm human myself. I've had my own struggles. But therefore, I would be more likely to be somebody they could trust to consult with and to really support them in their own quest for love, given the experiences I've had. And I think you were certainly successful in that in the book, Lior, and, and you know, I know you. The idea that um, people have to have a perfect life to be a, 
a coach or a consultant or a matchmaker or whatever, there's this idea is so prevalent about, um, you know, unless you've had a, you know, a 50 year marriage and everything has been perfect and you can't help other people. And I don't think there's anything that could be further from the truth. Uh, that you need to have perfection, but you, you need to have, as you've shown in the book, experiences that, that you've learned about. You've had struggles and you've had uh, uh, challenges and the same kind of challenges that your your clients have gone through. And I think it's much more valuable to have had these experiences and have the honesty to, to tell other people about them than, than just to have some pretend bio of how fantastic you are and how, what a perfect life you've had. So, Well, thank you. I appreciate that affirmation because I myself struggled with my public versus personal persona. And I realized that I had to be who I was. I had to be authentic. And I didn't want to apologize for, for example, spending 12 years after my second divorce being single and out in the community. I didn't want to walk around with a badge of shame that I had been twice divorced and that I myself wasn't matched. Because people would say to me, well, you're single, uh, how is that possible? And why should I trust you to match me? And my answer would be, well, this is life. Uh, relationships don't always succeed. Just as doctors get sick, <laughs> matchmakers get divorced. And that I am waiting for the right relationship in my life. And having learned the lessons of the past ones, I will no longer settle for something that I did not feel could go the distance. What's fascinating is that it's just so prevalent again, how people look at um, how many relationships they've had as failures. I actually have a friend of mine I was talking with on Facebook the other day that's that had been married three times. And, you know, the, the wording she used was get over the stigmatis the stigmatization of her failures. And again, it's it's not about a failure. It's about the relationship last as long as it lasts. And uh, one thing I kind of wanted to ask you was, as we get into some of the details of the book, what, uh, are the lessons that you learned with each of your relationships that were significant for you? And regardless of whether it was a marriage or it was a, a relationship that lasted for a shorter period of time, I think we all learn lessons and then we move forward with the next lesson and don't do the work and they keep repeating the same mistakes over and over again learning the lessons of uh, the last relationship are kind of important. So maybe you can tell our audience maybe some significant things you learned in, in uh, your relationships that helped you move forward and create what you've created with, with Jim now. Well, uh, yeah, I do believe that each relationship had a takeaway and a lesson learned. And the good news is that in my life, even though I pursued other relationships that didn't always work out, I didn't repeat the same mistakes. I learned different and new lessons. <laughs> it's really my lifetime of an accumulation of those culminating in what I consider the right relationship. So what did I learn? When I was young, I, my first relationship ended in heartache. That was because my boyfriend was unfaithful to me. You know, the only thing you can learn from that situation is, well, you know, um, 
maybe you made a bad decision in terms of who you got involved with. I don't think in my case that was true. I just think he was immature and we were young. And uh, that was a painful experience, which really kind of, um, I would say, reinforced me to be stronger and to see the signs in advance and to make sure that in the next relationship, I felt like I was on more solid ground. Uh, the person I got involved with afterwards was a more serious person. And, um, you know, I had every faith and confidence that that relationship was really one that would endure for the time that we were together. Now, there were other circumstances and life plans that I had that intervened and in which which made those college relationships ultimately not work out. But then I talk about my long distance relationships, my marriage to the father of my children, a second marriage, and with each relationship not working out again, it made me stronger, it made me wiser, it made me realize what I needed in a partner. And so, it was a journey and I think everyone's life and relationships are a journey. Uh, and as long as people are smart enough to see the, you know, the takeaways in each situation that allows them to move forward in a healthy way. And again, you, you're very detailed in the book about when you talk about the, the relationship in college with the, I believe it was Gary. Right. Um, you're very honest about how it progressed and uh, you know reading it from an objective standpoint I don't see any mistakes it's it's rather having a mistake as you said you know there's immaturity involved there's inexperience there's there's people make bad decisions and to have the idea that that we can <laughs> we can forecast all the things that are going to happen, all the decisions that our partner is going to make or that how we're going to feel is, is uh, unrealistic because we really can't because the experience had, had great value for you. And it was very interesting how you tied into what happened much later in Gary's life when you reconnected. That was, you know, that was kind of fascinating how things kind of come back around. Yeah, that was 30 years later. And we had a wonderful reconnection where we had a very meaningful conversation about that. And I actually was so touched by the conversation where he felt it important to acknowledge that he really hurt me and to ask my forgiveness. And that touched me very deeply because it had been 30 years and apparently he carried around that guilt for all that time. Yeah, which I'm sure had an effect on his entire life. It's, it's amazing that, you know, you, you, if you don't do the work to process and heal uh, the things that happen, it can just be baggage you're dragging around and who knows what kind of effects it has on on health and relationships, uh, which again is a which is a theme of the book in terms of doing the people doing the work and processing the things they knew that they they need to process, so they can actually show present 
for the current relationship because if you're still living in the past, you're not going to show up for uh, the current relationship in a way that's authentic, are you? Absolutely. Very interesting story, and I don't, I, I'll leave it a few whether you want to get into it, but it's in terms of uh, uh, your marriage with Wayne and how it became uh, abusive. And I just find that, again, that's it's such a common theme, and obviously there are many, uh, many, many, many stories that are even far more extreme, but that theme of, uh, of uh, male anger and uh, abusiveness and how it changes from before marriage to after marriage. Uh, maybe I'd like to hear you talk about your, your take on it, because it's, it's a prevalent theme in society for so many women that... Uh, that are caught off guard. And again, my, my philosophy, my perception is that, uh, that it's very difficult to understand and to know in advance how these things might change because people can be very good at, uh, at uh, putting on a front and pretending. Uh, very, very good. And there are some very good actors out there. So maybe uh, tell us about your experience. Oh, absolutely. It was a big shocker for me. I was essentially a sitting duck for a man who was a textbook abusive personality. I didn't see it coming. He was, as many people are who really fit that category, charming, handsome, absolutely skilled at manipulating people and situations. He was in sales. So he knew how to flatter people. He knew how to ingratiate himself to people. And I believe he targeted me at that time in my life. I was in a very vulnerable place, having just lost my mother, who I was very close to. Right. Raising two children on my own, one of whom has special needs. Going through a custody battle with my former husband. I was in a very, very dark place in my life, and he came riding in on his white horse and basically promised to pull me out of that depressing hole I found myself in. And who doesn't want to be pulled out of their depression? You know, it was extremely seductive, fun, wonderfully gratifying at the time. Uh, he made it a point to not only ingratiate himself to me, but also to my children, who were very warm-hearted, loving children. And so they bonded to somebody they thought really cared about them. We were all sort of um, in his playbook, and the relationship was terrific until he felt that he had control, basically, and that it really turned and flipped when we got married. We moved in together initially, and he did his level best to show me what a good husband he could be. Uh, everything from driving the carpool at six in the morning to uh, taking my son for outings to, you know, just doing whatever he could for us, helping me financially at that time. Uh, being, you know, an amazing and passionate lover that, you know, he was, you know, very skilled at and base, basically supporting me at a time where I was very vulnerable. And looking back, 
you know, I recognize that had I not been as vulnerable, I might have seen through some of that, but I certainly didn't see it coming. Do you think this was a conscious strategy on his part, or there was this underlying anger, dysfunction, control, narcissism, whatever, that just manifested? Because I don't really know. I don't think, you know, it's hard to know what goes on in someone else's mind. I do think he really loved me. I do think that he wanted to be with me, but he was very insecure. And that is really the root of most abusive personalities is a deep insecurity and feeling of inadequacy, which then manifested itself in a desire to control. And that control became much more obvious once he felt he had me, in quotes, meaning that you know, I was now locked in by becoming his wife. And so I don't think he set out to intentionally harm me or hurt me when we first got together, but I think being together with me made him feel insecure. He never felt that he measured up to me on some very fundamental levels and then ended up becoming angry and competitive with me. And when I didn't, you know, really act the way he wanted me to act, he became angry and enraged. Again, you know, these, these uh, types of people, and it happens in women too, it's not just men. Right. Although it's more common to hear about scenarios where the men are the perpetrators, but it happens on the other side as well. And these people are very practiced and skilled at deceiving people until they have them locked in. So one really doesn't see one coming, you know, this type of uh, dynamic. But my takeaway, among many takeaways from that experience, was that if it's too good to be true, it's too good to be true. <laughs> but really, how would you counsel a, a woman client of yours, or, or, or a male for that matter, in terms of, in terms of getting an insight into this before it's... Uh, before the commitment, the long-term commitment happens in marriage, uh, because as you said, it's very difficult to uh, inspect, and you don't necessarily want to be when you're dating be a, a private investigator and a professional cynic and a, you know prove me you know prove me wrong kind of thing. That's probably not the ideal thing. But uh, how would you counsel your clients in terms of being uh, uh, more aware that this could happen? Well, I think it boils down to feeling whole and healthy and complete within yourself. Because when I look back on that experience, I think it would have been far preferable for me to have taken the time to grieve my mother's death, for example, to work through the issues with custody, with my children, to have come out of that a little stronger, and you know, ready to meet somebody who was more my equal. I really, at that time, was so downtrodden that I welcomed the help of somebody who turned out to not be in my corner after all, after investing a lot of energy and you know, uh, feelings and my children's feelings in a relationship that ended up being harmful. So, 
I would say that it's important to take the time to work on oneself. It doesn't mean you can't get involved with people, but it's much more likely that one will be vulnerable to a person who's not as healthy or doesn't have the same relationship goals if one is, is feeling needier and feeling that they can't be without that support at, at certain points in their lives. What other stories in the book are your, would you say your favorites in terms of their clients that, uh, uh, that you worked with? You have a lot of different stories and they take different twists and turns. What would be a couple that come to mind that uh, are most meaningful for you in the book? Well, my very first match, you know, is very meaningful. It's the chapter called Thinking Outside the Box. And it is a story of Jenny and David who really exemplified the fact that I was willing to take a chance and work with someone who didn't have a stellar record. And, you know, because I felt that people who go through some things are actually more psychologically realized in many ways and ultimately will make better partners. And I knew that Jenny also had been through some serious loss and hardship and I felt that their traumas would actually serve to have them connect on a deeper emotional level than your typical dating relationship. And so I was very proud of myself for being willing to take a chance on someone who did not fit the prototype of the ideal client at that time. He was a recovering addict. Recovering yes. addict and he was in prison. Yeah. He had, yes, he had served time in prison and he became a, a spokesperson for recovery and a real role model to this day. He remains that. So I was so impressed with his story and really so touched by what he had been through and the fact that he had the strength to really turn his life around the way he did. I felt that made him much more desirable as a potential partner than someone who'd never been through any challenges and didn't build the kind of character that he was forced to build. That's an awesome point that the person's past is important, but it doesn't need to be a perfect past. And the other thing is the more authentic people are with each other, you know, people can make choices in terms of what they're comfortable with and not. And you, what, what's it, what is really interesting that maybe you can tell our audience more about is your function as a matchmaker, as an interlocutor, your go-between is you match two people together and they're dating and you're getting a report from one you're getting a report from the other one and you're kind of discussing coaching not revealing confidences but um, that's certainly missing in terms of the, uh, uh, <laughs> the other dating apps and tell people how that really functions in terms of because it's an integral part of what you do when you read the book about of uh, moving things forward and many, many of the things of the clients you had that moved forward, you hadn't done the things you've, you've done. They would have ended very early. And there are many examples of that in the book. Well, I think that when it comes to relationships, just as when it comes to raising children, I think it takes a village. 
and the old tried and true matchmaking principles that were employed by our parents and grandparents who knew people in the community who understood the importance of a good match for their children and grandchildren occupied a very important role that has disappeared in our culture today and that I have attempted to restore in my work as a matchmaker. And I have seen time and time again, and as I have documented through various stories in the book, the importance and the benefit of having somebody who knows both people be able to reason with somebody. Because our knee-jerk response, and this is not anyone's fault, we are all trained professionally to make very quick decisions. Right. And it does spill over into one's personal life. And so the easiest thing to do is say, oh, no, that person's not for me. Too far, too tall, not enough money, not educated enough for whatever their objections are. Not my type. The easiest thing to do is to say, no, not for me. It's much more harder to embrace possibilities and to really give people a chance to reveal who they are. And as a matchmaker, my goal is to get to know each and every person so that I can really represent to the other party what they have to bring to the table and to point out qualities that they might not have discerned themselves because it's hard to know someone until you take the time and invest in a relationship. You can't know after one or two dates whether somebody is going to be someone you're going to marry or go off into the sunset with. It is a process, and, and it should be a gradual process. But sometimes people want to short-circuit that, and they either want to fall in love immediately with that bolt of lightning, or they're not interested. Yeah, it's so interesting, because in terms of the, the, dating, uh, the dating app technology of the swipe left, swipe right, everything is encourages you to make quick decisions. And I think that just continues through let's the easiest thing to do is to say no the easiest thing is to rule it out i don't want to waste my time but and again there's certainly sometimes reasons to say this is this is a this is a deal killer and again you're very honest with your clients it really is a deal killer you're not you're not trying to talk them out of it if they say this is my values this is what's important to me then you listen to that but so often the things that your clients bring up are are relatively trivial or aren't really important or as you said they are putting the cart before the horse or making decisions about without possibly being able to know wh where the relationship actually could go because you know it takes it takes months you know of of getting to know somebody and you know your your story in terms of meeting Jim was also a very interesting story of how how long that took to become comfortable Everything. And that really, yes, I agree, Dan, and that was a function of Jim's caution, right? which at the, I didn't appreciate it at the time. I was very puzzled by it, but I valued the fact that he thought enough of himself and other people not to just get involved, not to become physically intimate with people he didn't think he had a future with, that he was really saving himself for a relationship that he felt had a real future and he understood that that was going to take some time and he was in no hurry 
and I was just confused because it was such a different pattern than what I had experienced up till then. And if I had not had the benefit of my friends who served as my matchmakers, we would not have gone forward necessarily. So it, it takes a trusted confidant, somebody who knows both people, somebody who's advocating for the match to really give people a sense of what's realistic, what's pragmatic, and to preach patience and curiosity. That is something that so many people lack when they start dating. I, you know, when I was single, I always, even if I knew that somebody was not a match for me, I was always curious about what makes that person tick. And it was always interesting to me to learn what their stories were, whether I pursued a dating relationship with them or not. And so many people lack that curiosity. They're more interested in talking about who they are and revealing themselves to that person rather than finding out who's sitting opposite you across the table. Absolutely. Or, and the other thing is that it's just, here's what I want. Here's my goal, you know, to, to create this relationship. And you're so focused on, on that thing that can happen in one date or, or three dates that you forget to actually be present now and to do what's, what's, absolutely necessary first which is to, as you said and i agree completely is to build a friendship you know, make a make a friend and then perhaps that's going to go somewhere perhaps it won't but if you've made a friend that's something that's of value irrespective of what happens romantically in the future and and many people don't understand it or they're not willing to have that patience and again i think what you do is so integral to helping people do it because they can't they don't have in most cases they don't have the maturity to do it themselves or the understanding and again what if you want to contrast the way it works in the dating world where you have either you're getting no advice because you're doing it all by yourself or you're going to consult with your friends that don't know the other person on the other side right so your friends are going to help also help you ditch the other person or get out quickly but you don't have anybody in the middle that knows both people and can give sound advice and give it just a different perspective and counsel patience and, and wisdom and, and to move things along. So, you know, I'm not going to give away everything that's in the book, but it just is very interesting for people that are, that are, whether you're in a relationship now and want to improve it or, or looking for a relationship for the people that read the book, I think they will really learn a tremendous amount about, uh, about how to create a, a relationship and what kind of patience you need and what kind of skills you need to do it successfully versus get into something that's uh, uh, way too quick and is going to turn out to be, uh, you know, many times a disaster. Absolutely. And human nature being what it is, I have had situations where couples meet and there is that bolt of lightning. They feel that immediate connection and passion. And in that case, I have counsel them to basically take it easy that you know that's right. no one's no one's taking that away from them they don't have to get married in you know two months they can have a long period of time of getting to know each other and being madly in love with one another to make the foundation stronger for permanency when they ultimately decide to, to make that move as my book indicates i had one couple who 
really uh, were gung-ho, madly in love, and got engaged very quickly within a few months of meeting, I was concerned about that. And right. actually, they are, uh, to this day, they have still not married, although they are living together and working on their relationship because they realized they needed to take a step back and really work through some differences that they had. Yeah, you know, I, I think that, you know, having immediate chemistry is fantastic and it's a great it's a great indicator that it's worth going forward, right? It doesn't right. Al- it doesn't it doesn't always happen like that, but if you have that, you know, that's that that's a great indicator from the universe to move forward, but the question is how are you going to move forward and if you're going to move forward and and put the physical ahead of the friendship as we've talked about before, then at some point when the physical gets a little bit more mundane or cools off and you haven't built the friendship, you're kind of, you're, you're, you're playing catch up or you're never going to catch up to, to build what's needed to sustain the relationship at the long term, which is always friendship as a basis. Yes, it's friendship and it's also problem solving skills. Right. Because as we talked about the last time, you cannot have two people who have been raised differently come to the table and form a new relationship in their adulthood and not have differences and issues that they're going to rub each other the wrong way with it's just inevitable so having the technology to work through stuff from the very beginning is going to establish a much much stronger foundation and raise the probabilities for long-term success so in conclusion leora uh, I got to thank you again for uh, being on the podcast, but for writing the book, Catch, me a, Catch me a Catch. I recommend it to uh, all of our listeners to uh, to grab a copy on Amazon. We'll put all the posts, uh, we'll put the uh, uh, the links up on the, on the show notes as well so that people can find it. But um, in conclusion, why don't you give us the, the give us your takeaway in terms of uh, what message you're, you're putting out there for people about love and, and relationships. And we'll conclude with that. Well, thank you for the opportunity to talk about this journey of mine. It has been a real accomplishment for me to get this book out, uh, which actually got published right before Valentine's Day. And I believe that the message for singles is that there is always hope in finding a good and healthy relationship, and that despite disappointments, despite heartaches that people inevitably will experience, that given the difficulties that I as a matchmaker endured, but never gave up, you know, really believing that I was A, worthy of finding love, and B, that I had the steadfast belief that I, that I would eventually find love. It is a message of hope for singles, readers, and even for couples, it is a message that a good relationship and marriage requires work. It doesn't happen by magic. And the more one invests in doing that work, whether it's therapy or couples work or coaching or whatever external resources are gonna work for each couple, doing that, bonds people together more closely, makes it a richer relationship and ultimately a more successful relationship. 
So the takeaway really is that love is possible and it isn't a Disney world out there. Real love takes energy, work, commitment, and that the rewards of really investing those um, initiatives in the loving relationship will yield the results that people are really looking for. Fantastic message, and that's what people need, I think, is a message of hope and to understand that there's support out there for those that want it. There's support and people that can help because it is really hard to do it on your own. None of us really can. So thank you for what you've done, helping so many people find love and relationship in a, in a wholesome and, and functional way and uh, sorely needed in today's culture. So thank you for doing that and thank you for being on the show. You're very welcome. It was my pleasure. Okay. Thanks for listening to This Is Personal, Rewinding a Life. If you like today's show, please subscribe, leave a review, and share it with your friends. All of that would be greatly appreciated. You can find me at dansimon.co on Instagram, dansimontv, or Twitter, at dansimontv. Thanks for listening to the show today. New show will be out on Monday. Have a great week.